Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Uh, We're going to open them to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, starting with verse 31. This is where we, we left off last week. Last week we started a series called Kingdom Family. How many of you were here for that last week? All right. A, a bunch of you, but not all of you. All right. Some of you are afraid to say it. <laughs> I get it. All right. I, I was literally sweating so hard up here. I had to like take my clothes off. All right. So you have to take my word for it. Watch back. Uh, but uh, what, uh, what, what we're doing in, the, in this series is we're trying to open the scriptures and lay a biblical foundation for relationship, marriage, parenting, but it's the foundational part. I think in our hurried society, in our hurried culture, we want to skip right to stuff. And I'm really trying to go very slowly through scripture. So if you're, you might get upset with me, you might get bored, but I've got to lay a good foundation theologically, doctrinally, before we go into some of the other exceptions, before we go into some of the other stuff. We've got to get a good foundation. If we were building a house, these, these next weeks, uh, we're, we're digging out and we're, we're building the block and we're making sure that everything's stable. Here's what we're not doing is we're not worried about what ceiling fans that we're going to get. We're not talking to the contractor about uh, curtain rods. All right. Listen, we jump right to that stuff. A curtain rod doesn't matter. A ceiling fan doesn't matter if the foundation that you've laid was so hurried that the house falls over in a year. All right. And that is what is happening to marriages and relationships and friendships is that we, they have no foundation at all. In fact, let me tell you this. Um, we actually see marriage, relationships, sex, whatever, a- as the goal, in other words, as our God, and we're rushing right into them, but none of them were ever made to ultimately satisfy our hearts. You were not made by marriage or for marriage. You were not made to get married. So we're running into these relationships like they are the end goal. They are not the end goal. We have to lay a foundation that shows us what the end goal is. And the end goal is a person named Jesus who made us for himself. All right. And so I, I know that this, none of these sermons are going to be like, you know, seven tips for having a spicy revved up marriage. You know, this is not, this is not that kind of church. All right. I love, I love spice. I love marriage. You know, seven tips get old for me. All right. I'd rather have good foundations. All right. All right. A good foundation will lead to uh, a a, a better marriage instead of one that falls over, all right? I also want to speak, though, to you as, as some of you are here, and I know statistically over half of us have experienced divorce. Uh, I think all of us have experienced some type of re- relational conflict that has hurt us deeply. By focusing on the foundation, I'm not trying to just gloss over that. We're going to deal with that, and it's coming, and Jesus can meet you right here in a healing way. So whatever has happened in your past doesn't have to define you. Whatever's going on right now doesn't have to be your reality. Your reality is different than your circumstance, okay? 
All right, so I, I hope that you, you hear this, but what we're doing in this Kingdom Family series, at least for the next few weeks, is we're laying relational foundations from the scriptures. And we started last week with Ephesians chapter 5. Um, uh, Ephesians factor, uh, chapter 5 is actually talking about Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's directly quoting it. The reason I'm not starting with Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is because I want to start on this side of the cross, so to speak. I want us to get the big picture. All right. And last week we said that the, the big picture of marriage is not that you were made for marriage. The big picture of marriage is that this mystery is talking about Christ and the church. That's the side of the cross. That's what we see at the cross, at the resurrection. That's what we see on the side. All right. And that's what we said. And so last week, and in fact, let me, let me, as we go, let me talk about uh, uh, in, in a recap fashion about some of the foundational marriage truths that we started with. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start here with verse 31. Go to verse 33. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. This mystery is profound. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. We're going to do this all. This is going to be fun. All right. I, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Say wow. All right. Now, now that's what we focused on last week. We actually didn't get to this next part. Listen to verse 33. However, all right, so, so th- there's the foundation. Now, here's more, more foundation. So the, here's, where, here's the foundational stuff that depends on what was just laid, all right? All right, so a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That's foundational stuff. That's, that's 101. Here's 102. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Say, woohoo. All right, amen. All right, whatever. However you need to respond. <laughs> uh, uh, so the... Uh, so we're going to go there today, but, but remember, I'm recapping here for a second. Number one recap is that when you get married, you're starting a new family. Okay, remember we said this last week, that you're stepping out of your parents' authority and you're forming a new family under a new authority. And so parents, uh, when your kids get married, listen, your job is not to tell them what to do anymore. It's not to, you're, you're going to always be their mom and their dad, but you're not always going to be the authority in their life. And you have to cut that as they, as they leave and cleave. Parents, if you keep reaching in and telling them what to do and passively, aggressively, not giving them money because they didn't do it your way. Listen, that is not the kingdom at all. That is detrimental and, and idiotic, all right? And, and, and it hurts, all right? So, so as, as a man and a woman get married, they're starting a new family. They are now the new authority structure under Jesus, all right? And it's not the parents anymore. The parents' job is to give cash, to pray hard, to babysit the grandkids, to bless, to have everyone over, to have a big enough house and a big pond and all this stuff and just really just heap blessings on as much as you can. Somebody. All right. There we go. All right. I finally heard a man say it. Whoever that was, I like, amen. All right. So yes. So you're starting a new family. Let me say this though. I'm going to dig in a little bit more that when you are living together, not in covenant marriage, but you're just trying to find out if you should be married. So you're living together, acting married, but not in covenant. That's not starting a new family. So you can't go to your parents and say, hey, listen, we're not married, we're living together, all right? You can't tell us what to do anymore. No, contraire to your personal opinions and feelings and all this stuff. You, you, you are perverting the thing. 
rushing it. And, and your parents are still that your authority. You have not done, because this hasn't been done under covenant. All right? Man, I see it so much. People that are too big for their britches, living by themselves, not under covenant, like telling their parents what to do. And parents, man, that breaks their heart, doesn't it? All right. So living with a partner, not married, is not you starting a new family. All right? That's a perversion of the design. All right? So we talked about that. Here's the other thing that we talked about. We talked about marriage being a covenant union. Anybody remember this? Marriage is not, listen, it's not out of convenience. You don't just kind of do it just because, you know, we save on taxes, all right? Uh, and marriage is not a contract. A contract says, I bring 50% to the table, you bring 50% to the table. Here's my roles and responsibilities. Here's your roles and responsibilities. And should you fail on your obligations, the contract is void and broken. Man, that is a contractual understanding of marriage. That is the prevailing dominant understanding in our culture of marriage. How many of of us have heard somebody say, when you know, we're living together, it's like we're married. We don't need a piece of paper to tell us that we're married. This is someone that is that they're they're they have not understood the gospel of the kingdom, they haven't understood kingdom family, they don't know God's design. Of course, a piece of paper doesn't make you married. Do you know what makes you married? Covenant under God makes you married. So uh, marriage is a covenant union. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a contract that can be broken easy as pie, all right? Uh, uh, a contract is held together by a paper clip or a staple, all right? You rip it, maybe you lose a little bit of the edge. No big deal, all right? A covenant is, is like a, spiritually speaking, like a chemical reaction. It's like when you, when you mix water with the, uh, you know, the, the, the dust to make concrete, all right? And you mix the two together, there's a chemical reaction where two separate things actually become one new thing, a new family, and it's much harder to break up spiritually speaking, all right? So this is not a contractual union where, where two par uh, parties fulfill obligation. This is a covenant union under God. And then we said this, that the context for, for sex is covenant, and I know this is the one where everyone really fell silent on. I know this is, this is the one where people probably felt really bad on. And I'm not saying this out of shame. I'm saying this out of hope. Out of hope, guys. Like this is, this is not talked about in the church because like 89% of the people are, don't want to give this one up because next to knowing Jesus, sex is probably second best. And a lot of people have found that. And that is, that is your new identity. That is your new thing. That is your treasure. But it, it's, it's, you, you're looking for treasure in the wrong spot. How many people have gone through sexual relationship, sexual relationship, and sexual relationship? Did I say sex enough? All right. I have your attention. I'm starting to sweat. Uh, but how many people have gone through all of that and you come out on the other end and you're like, still not satisfied? It's because sex was never made to satisfy your soul. All right. Right? You were made for Jesus. You were not made for sex. Sex is a gift, but it is not God. It is not identity. It's not, it doesn't compare in the slightest to Jesus, I promise. All right? And so I, I realize how counterculture this is. It's very OG to say that, that, uh, that the context for sex is covenant. Nobody walks in this except for a few radicals that have Jesus as a treasure. And then, then even then I know how easy it is to slip. 
all right? But there's, there's grace for that. But what I'm saying is God made sex so wonderful that there's one place it's supposed to happen and, and you're not supposed to have a body count. You're, suppo- you're supposed to know one person in the context of covenant marriage and then God works with you for a lifetime, however long or short that is. All right. Yes. Let me do say this, though. Sex is not bad. It's great. It's not, it's not even, I'm not even saying that it's good. I'm saying it's great. All right? But you, you have to take the owner's manual, and you don't get to make an owner's manual. Like, if you, if you see a car, and you say, I think this car should be a shovel. Well, cool. Uh, you know, that's not what it was made and designed to do. And so you can try all you want to try to lift a car and try to dig dirt with it. It's not going to work. You're going to hurt yourself. All right? The, 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 the creator gets to say what the thing is for, all right? And the creator of sex is God. And he made it great, all right? You, ha- you have to do it his way for it to not be hurtful, painful, and destroy your life. I, I've, I've been a pastor for 25 years, done a lot of pre-marriage counseling. Here's what I tell the uh, pre-marrieds, all right? As they're, as they're excited and they're writing their own vows and they're just feeling so tribal on the inside and they're just like, you know, to, we're going to be the one exception that has no problem. It's going to be love. We're going to live on love. I'm like, all right, good. Yeah, let, let's stay there for, you know, another 30 minutes. And, uh, all right. But here's what I say. As I say, hey, I want to call you to live for purity until you're actually in covenant. All right? Because here's your, your, you're pouring the foundation of your marriage right now, and the concrete is wet. You have the capability to stick dynamite into your foundation now. Don't do it. All right? Because when you're undercover and it hardens, and you've, you've, that stuff's going to go off eventually and it's going to be a bigger mess than if you just live for God, trusting him to be your treasure now. All right? All right. And then we said this, that, that all of these things are building towards this glorious truth that marriage is ultimately about Jesus. Marriage is not ultimately about love. Marriage is not ultimately about being satisfied. Marriage is not ultimately about finding your soulmate. Your soulmate isn't walking the earth. Your soulmate is a soon coming king named Jesus. All right. That he is your soulmate. All right. You're not trying to find your soulmate. Listen, when we watch all of these rom-coms, all right, and we watch all of these, these romantic movies and we feel they speak to something in our heart. Do you know why? Is because you're supposed to be lovesick. That is built into you. You're supposed to want a relationship. And then we, we decide that a person walking the earth is the fulfillment of that, but they're not. They're a, they're a portrait of it pointing to Jesus and the relationship that he wants to have with you. Marriage, ultimately, is, is a walking, living illustration about the kind of relationship God wants to have with the church, with his sons and daughters, with his, with his people. And interesting, if you, if you read the book of Revelation, the church is actually referred to as the bride of Christ. This is kingdom family here, all right? So marriage is ultimately about Jesus. We got this when we said this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So listen, let me say this one more time. The ultimate purpose of your marriage is to point to Jesus. And I think that many of us, I, I'm, I'm going to, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's the mission of your marriage. And that's leading us into the next half of these verses here today. I want to read it again. Therefore, a uh, 
man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now we're getting into this part. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. These verses here are talking about the culture that your family was designed to operate in, or the atmosphere that your family was designed to operate in, all right? How many, you want to have not just no truths, but you want to have a good culture, all right? You want to have good, a good vibe in your family. This is the vibe here. So here's, here's the first thing. Here's the first cultural operative that we need to know is that your marriage has a mission. And the mission is not to be the fulfillment of all your heart's desires. Your marriage has a mission better than that, bigger than that, more glorious than that. Your marriage has a mission. Now, before I, I even show you this in the Bible, I think it may, if, if I could just like toss out and we would all get this, I could just like for free, just go, Wah! and uh, it would just go Wah! into our hearts. All right. I, I, I wish that we would all get this. So we stop seeing a spouse as someone who meets my needs. And we start seeing our spouse as someone that I run with after a goal. All right. I, I almost never hear anyone talking about how do, how do spouses serve better together? You know, when you're serving and you're on mission together, there's no time to argue over how you squeeze the toothpaste wrong. Right. That is that is like, oh, you're disappointing me. I always squeeze from the end. Well, I squeeze from the middle. Eh, we're not soulmates. Ew. Like this is it is so ridiculous. When you're on mission and you're going after a purpose and you're walking in God's calling and you understand why, the ultimate reason why God brought you together, you start to be able to put your eyes on that prize. And, you, and the, the small things don't have to matter. Look at verse 32. It says, it refers to Christ and the church. All the stuff that we've been teaching on, it refers to Christ and the church. So I would say this, that your marriage refers to Christ and the bride. The mission of your marriage is to point to Jesus. So everybody that sees you loving each other, respecting each other, walking into the future together, holding on to each other in, in covenant love, everybody that sees that, the, the man that you are, you are obsessed with, with, with uh, this person, making it work with them, that points people to Jesus, all right? This is, not, this is not a meet all your needs kind of relationship. This is a we're on mission together kind of relationship. And if there is not an understanding that your spouse is not the, ans uh, the ultimate answer to all of your needs, what happens is, is a toxic, horrible culture is formed in the family that tries to get all of the needs met in the spouse or in the home. And the, the home is not the place where you get all of your needs met, all right? This is where a toxic, horrible culture can be formed. When, when uh, the kingdom culture that says, hey, kids, hey, wife, hey, husband, how, whatever your situation is, all right, we're in this together. God's leading us into the future. He's got great plans for us. We're not going to get sidetracked by the what's to the right and to the left. We're fixing our gaze on Jesus. That is the culture that God designed marriages and families to run in and have fun in and laugh in and play in and, and hurt in and cry in. That kind of culture. Not the kind of toxic culture that everybody feels used for what they can bring to the table, all right? Marriage was not created to be the ultimate need meter. 
Marriage was created to point to Jesus. All right? So this is really a gospel issue. The, the, the gospel issue is that we've preached a gospel that you receive Jesus and then you hope Jesus gives you what you want. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus made you by himself, for himself, and he is who you want. So faith is receiving Jesus as your treasure, not as a tool that will help to get you what you want, a family reunion, a mansion in the sky, streets of gold, a happier life. No. Jesus is the goal. And that is the gospel. You were, you were made by him and for him and then get to know him despite your sin. He paid for it all. And you get to be reunited and reconciled with him. That is, that is the gospel, all right? So, um, so mission together. This, so a, a marriage gets to make much of Jesus together, and it is, it is wonderful. Uh, can you say amen? All right, I'm on to that today. All right, hey, here's number two. Number two here is that, that culturally speaking, how the culture of the kingdom is supposed to operate is that the home is supposed to possess a culture of love. And I want to speak directly to the, the men for a second. Let's, let's look at this. Ephesians chapter, you know, the same passage we've been in. Uh, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Love his wife as himself. Wow, so, so Paul is starting to get very specific, and he's talking to husbands here, and he's about to talk to wives in a moment, but he's talking to husbands. So, hey, hey, here's all the stuff, but there is a however here. In order for all of this to work, here is the, here's the cultural framework, is that the husband's responsible for carrying love into the family. It's a specific assignment. It's a heavy one. Two husbands, love your wife. How massive? How massive is that? It had, you spend the rest of your married life, the rest of, of, your, of your marriage days on assignment to love your wife. Good days, bad days, where you're feeling it, when you're not feeling it, doesn't matter. You, no excuses, work. Love your wife. And it's the kind of love that is most amazing. It's the kind of love. It's not like whatever love you can muster. It's not like do your best. Well, you know, just kind of, like kind of love. It's the kind of love that is most amazing. If you look at verse 25, the, the commission is husbands. You have to skip back a few verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, this is, this is the model. This is the framework. Your feelings aren't the framework. The framework is the gospel. The framework is the kingdom. The framework is Jesus. Husbands, love your wives, not however you feel for the rest of your life, all right? But love your wives. Here's the model. The way Christ loved the church, that's how husbands are supposed to love wives, the way that Christ loved the church. And then here's what Jesus did. He gave himself up for her. Man, I think if I could boil husbandry or biblical masculinity down to one thing, it will be people that are so secure, men that are so secure in Jesus that they can put everybody else first before themselves. Not, not, here's what, here's what toxic masculinity is, is that men that are feeling the need to be cool and important and powerful using everybody that comes in their path to make them feel better. All right? That is not biblical masculinity. That is definitely not how uh, the, the culture that, that uh, marriages are supposed to operate in. Here's the culture. Husbands, 
usher waves of love, liquid love from the Father into families, especially onto wives, the way that Jesus did to the church. We love as Christ loved the church. It is selfless kind of love. It is sacrificial kind of love. It is humble kind of love. It is wild kind of love. It's happy kind of love. It's intentional kind of love. It's just like, like turn love on and just, just let it do its thing. That is it. Man, when I think about that, man, I'm like, God, I, man, I just feel like I failed in that department so much. I've operated my frustrations. I've done all these things, man. This is a day to restart and say, I mean, I'm going to love, I'm going to love my family. Specifically, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. It's covenant love. Covenant love is, is a love that's not based on performance. Covenant love is a love based on covenant. It is not, and I'll love you if... Hey, you do this for me, you do that for me, do y'all love you? All right? But if you tick me off, man, if you do that, if you if you if you burn the toast, if you just like you don't like whatever, then some, you don't get to turn love off or even down. All right? You have to love like imagine if that's how Jesus treated you. Hey, you can be a son or a daughter, all right? But you better be on your A game. You better be dancing and flagging. You better be serving in kids ministry and giving. You better be doing all that. Because if you have a bad day, I'm just not gonna love you as much. Listen, that's called contractual worldly love. It's not kingdom love. It's not Jesus love. And it's not husband love for his wife. All right? We all get to have bad days. We're not gonna be perfect. Grace has to be there, all right? And depended on. But this is, man, it's a calling, it's a mandate on husbands to love wives like Jesus. Love the church, not based on performance. It's just, you know, we say that, that uh, and I didn't originate this, but I heard this from someone else, that, that God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. There's no performance. He just loves because he loves. I think, I think just, man, welcoming that Jesus kind of love reality into our hearts where we can look at our, our spouse and say, I love you because I love you because I love you. It's not contractual. It's not I love you if. Covenant love is steadfast. It just keeps flowing. It keeps flowing. It just keeps coming after you. I think a, a, a wife, man, I think, man, this will be a bad day when a wife actually says you know, to a husband, I just don't feel loved. Ah, God, man, I just want, I just want there, there to be a, a continual flow of love coming towards my wife. And uh, man, you know what's gonna, what it takes is it doesn't take trying and effort. It takes supernatural encounters with the love of the Father so you, you actually have something to give away. Man, you have to be with God. Just like, man, give me, it's just, I, I've got it. This, this is why the world, and this is why even like conservative churches say, oh, we talk too much about the love of God. We we could never talk too much about the love of God, all right? And there has to be this, this constant rhythm in our life where, where we are constantly reminded and re-receiving the love of the Father so we can give it away. Because love kind of leaks in the human, in the natural, doesn't it? Man, so this, this is a call to, the, to supernatural living. Supernatural living. Or it just doesn't work. All right. Now, here's, here's the last thing, is that uh, the kind of culture, it's a culture of love, man, but it's also a culture of respect. Now, if, if you visit different, um, uh, you know, di different tribes or different people groups all over the world, 
Uh, some people groups are like performance oriented. You know, I would say that, that would be the, the United States. All right. But then some people groups are honor oriented. And like, man, they, they would, the, is the worst thing that you can do is not take away their rights, but take away their honor. <laughs> and, uh, and so I feel like that is not, this one is harder for us to understand because, because honor schmoner around here. It's just like, ah, which is what, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, but man, there is something that God has wired in a man's heart for honor. All right. And so th- I'm calling this a culture of respect. Look at verse four, uh, th- 33. Um, man, I'm sweating again. It's getting, it's getting danger. Do you see the sweat just dripping? Like I'm literally, man, just keep reminding me that during this series, I need to wear at least two shirts. All right. Um, because man, uh, boy, listen, verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let the wife see, let the wife see, let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right? So respect your husband. This is, this is the, the culture needs to be honor and respect. But this is, man, the, the pioneer in this department is the wife. The wife is, pioneers this, this respect, this culture of respect, this vibe. Like, like the kids walk into the home and they, who, whoever is in the house, man, it just feels like there's an otherworldly, uh, otherworldly honor thing going on that I don't experience in America, but I experience in your, in your living room. Respect. This is one of the confusing things because, because many times when we think of love, we understand that, that love requires grace and that you know, nobody's going to be perfect, but you keep loving them anyway. What we don't understand is grace or that respect requires the same amount, if not more, grace. All right? We can't say love is because of grace and then re- say respect is because of performance. All right, we got to hear this. You, you got to hear this. All right, so it is it is an unhealthy, I would say, toxic home when the husband's doing everything he can to love his wife with grace, but then the wife is saying, you know, you didn't show up on time, and you didn't do this. You, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, it is better to live on the corner of your roof than with a nagging wife. If you want to, and it does. I didn't invent that. It does. You can read it, Proverbs twenty-one. All right, what that is speaking to, and we don't understand it, but I think that nagging is the opposite of honor. It's the opposite of respect. It's always saying what you didn't do, what you didn't do, what you didn't do, what you didn't do. All right? I was just, was I rapping? Yeah, I kind of felt what you didn't do, what you didn't do. All right. Um, yeah, and then I started doing karate. I don't know why. This is, this is very weird. I'm about to take my shirt off. Uh, but, uh, all right? So, so many... It is, hard, it is hard, I think, for, for the, the way that God fashioned men and women is different, and it all displays the beautiful image of God, all right? But what, what has to be gotten in a kingdom home is that, that respect is more important to how God's wired a man than love is, all right? There was, let, let's talk about just like, let's talk about math for a moment. And there was a survey done asking thousands of men from all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of ages. All right? This survey asked men one question. If you had to pick between being loved for the rest of your life by your wife or respected for the rest of your life by your wife, which one would you pick? And it's interesting that this wasn't like 50-50. It wasn't like, you know, 57-43. It, it was 
97% of men said, I would like to be both, but if I had to pick one, it would be respect. Hands down, no doubt, I wouldn't even bat an eye. Wow, respected, respected. All right, now this is gonna take grace because we, we, see, we see many times, we see men are put under the, the performance category and say, I'll respect you when you perform well. I'll respect you, listen to this, when you're respectable. Now let's turn the tables on that for a moment and what if we told our kids, I'll love you when you're lovable? Whoa, hold on, it's the image of God that makes this person lovable, all right? And I would say this, it's the image of God on, on, a, on a man or on our son's to say, I respect you. I don't respect you for what you're doing, but I respect you for who you are and what you're carrying, you see. So it takes a lot of grace. Respect requires a ton of grace. But in the covenant, it's as important as love is. It's pretty wild. Pretty wild. I think we need to just chew on that for a while. And, and we need like a respect revival. We need like an honor revival. And we, we need liquid respect to flow right in the same stream as liquid love. We need liquid honor to hit us. And I know this, it's, you have to swallow hard and you have to say, are you really telling me that this person who hurt me so much, I have to love? You really tell me this person that is like addicted to pornography and doing stuff and not, you know, doing all this, you're telling me that I have to respect this person? I'm not telling you a thing. Listen, you don't have to do this. What I'm doing is I'm reading the Bible and I'm saying this. It says, husbands, love your wives and wives, respect your husbands. And I think what this might do though, is that what it might do is it might unlock. Like I just think love and respect unlocks supernatural stuff into a family. And if you've been operating without it and it, you've been contractual, what if you unlock? What if you said, I'm just gonna start respecting. I'm just gonna start loving. And what if it it opened a portal of both into your family and you're like, wow, man, actually building this thing, not on my feelings, but on the foundation of the scriptures and loving my wife and respecting my husband and creating a culture where both of those two things can flourish together, not in perfection, but in covenant. Wow. Wow. Let me, let me wrap things up with this. I want to remind you this. Listen, these things that we're talking about, they're not try hard kind of stuff. They're supernatural or they're not. And this is why I'm, I'm begging the church to get more charismatic in these days and to start reading the Bible and to start, and, and to start leaving a theology that is comfortable with Father, Son, Holy Bible and what, starting to say, Holy Spirit, come back into the Trinity in, in this place, please. Because you don't try hard. If you try hard, you're just going to feel bad, and then you're going to have to spiritualize your bad feelings as biblical, and it's not. All right? What we have to do is we have to live lives of encounter with God where we receive these things so we can give them away. And let me tell you what the enemy is doing in churches and what the enemy is doing in your heart and in your mind and in your dreams and in your home is he's trying to sabotage your one-day marriage He's trying to sabotage your current marriage. He's trying to sabotage you with your last marriage because he hates marriage. He hates marriage. He wants to sabotage your marriage from the start. He wants you to put dynamite in the foundation of your marriage while it's wet, while he can. He's an opportunist, man, and he's just ugly. 
And he wants to come. He hates your marriage so much. And he wants you to rack up a body count. He, he, he wants you to short circuit things and get things backwards. He, he, he wants to remind you of your past. He wants to convince you that this, this covenant union has no future. He wants that. Like, that's, what he, that's how he operates. He's a liar. But man, his lies actually, uh, uh, emotions accompany these lies. Have you ever had a dream and it didn't happen, but it felt real? Man, I remember my wife and I dating. We dated for four years, 17 to 21. We got married at 21. I, I wasn't married to be I wasn't ready to be married at 21, but I sure am glad I got married at 21 because you don't wait till you're ready. You know, you don't wait till you're ready. I'm, I'm 44 now, probably still not ready. All right, Re- readiness, readiness is not the prerequisite, all right? Like men, you gotta be a real man, you gotta be a real woman, all right? But then the other stuff, you, you're gonna have to figure out you know that discipleship is like iron sharpening iron, getting things wrong, sharpening each other. And that's actually how a blade becomes sharp, through the friction, all right? I think that's how it is. I think the, the, God uses marriages to make us more like Jesus, all right? And there's got to be that, that tension. You've got to work it out. And then covenant, the Holy Spirit-inspired covenant has to keep drawing you back to the mission, drawing you back to Jesus, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because my, my wife and I, we dated for four years. And I want to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't know if we really ever argued all four of those years. Ser- seriously, like we were just great. I remember we had one awkward conversation about, I don't know, nine months into or maybe six months into the marriage where my wife just sat me down. She goes, do you believe in speaking in tongues? And I said, yeah, I do. I actually do speak in tongues. She's like, great. I didn't, I, yeah, we can keep going, right, she says. All right, because that's important to her. And that's actually what made me, made me just fall deeper in love with her because, man, Jesus was most important to her. Ah, we gotta be in this. We better be praying in tongues if we're gonna make this, right? And so, the, uh, so I remember what we just didn't, we had a, a few little scraps maybe, but it was, all, it was, there was just peace there. It was happy. There's a lot of hope. And then, listen, then we got married and it was the right decision, I'm telling you. But it's like, it's like the day the, 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 the enemy didn't wait, didn't wait weeks or months or years. He, he waited minutes <laughs> to come and begin to paint a target on our marriage. Listen, you're not dangerous to darkness when, when you're just out there, just kind of just doing whatever you, whatever you want outside of covenant. You know what's dangerous to the enemy? Do you know what's dangerous to darkness? You know what, you know what drives back the enemy in a wicked generation? Covenant marriage. Covenant marriage. I'm telling you, listen, it is not going to get easier when you get married. It's going to get harder. It's going to be more victorious. It's going to be better. All right. But we've got to get in our culture the, the willingness to do the hard thing for the great thing. All right. The easy thing doesn't have good fruit as a payout. All right, the hard thing, guys, it's the hard thing where you get in there and you work it out and, and you, you cover your spouse and you cover your husband with prayers and with, with protection, with love, and with trust, and with respect, and you keep showing up to the table. Ah, just show up to the table. 
Just like you don't just run the first second you can. Now, I know this is hard. I know there are situations where some of you, you're in bad situations, abusive situations. You're being used and abused. I'm not saying you just keep showing up and being abused. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in broad generalities, the foundation, the dream in God's heart is that husbands and wives would come to the table even when they don't really like each other or feel it. They just keep coming back and coming back, coming back. I, uh, I wrote a song for my wife and I sang it to her on our wedding day. <clears throat> I won't sing it to you now, but uh, so I kind of forget it. Uh, but uh, no, 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 not the words though. We, we actually have the words um, hanging over our bed at home. I even like burned the edges because I like pirates and I like, I, I don't know, I, I just like, you know, old, um, <laughs> wish I was a pirate. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I, I, I just burned the edges just so it would look like, it would look very, you know, ancient, you know, but this, this song was talking about how Adrian and I are going to run to the tower. Proverbs 18.10 is our marriage verse. It's, it's on our, the inside of our rings. All right, it talks about the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. All right, so that's what God spoke over our marriage. And I sang this song. I said, together we will run to the tower. I'll live and love you there in the presence and the power of the lamb. I'll walk beside you through each hour with all my faithfulness and all my love. I'll love you as your man. All right, so I sang it over my wife. And then I got to the bridge. And you know what the bridge said? The bridge said this, there's one thing you need to know right now as I'm loving you and as we've said these vows. Do you remember this, Tom? because Tom was performing the ceremony. I said this, Jesus has stolen my heart and I'm set on loving him more than even you. Yes, I'm set on loving him more than even you. Now guys, that is a declaration that husbands and wives must declare to one another that you are my second, you are not my first. In other words, it's not, it's not a downgrade. It, it is an upgrade. It is freedom. You, I am not putting on you the responsibility and the heavy weight of satisfying every single tiny little place in my heart. I'm not putting that on you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to respect you. We're going to do this together. We're going to run together. We're going to work this out. We're going to have a blast doing it. And we're going to shine Jesus in the, in the covenant love that he wants to show the world that is accessible to the cross. But I'm not putting on you the treasure thing. I'm not putting on you the weight of satisfying my heart. And this is what the enemy does. Is the enemy tries to convince us that you were made for your soulmate and that your life's goal is to somehow find the soulmate and fate will get you there. It's serendipity. You're going to get you're going to find them. And then when things start not working in your marriage, you start wondering, "Oh Lord, did I not find my soulmate?" Is it the wrong person? You want to talk about dynamite in a foundation? Listen, 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 listen. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. Listen, don't don't get off on ceiling fans for a second, all right? Let's talk about foundations. Foundationally, God wants you to be in covenant with another person, not second guessing it was the right person, but, but saying, Jesus, you are the right person. You are my soulmate. Here's the person that I'm in covenant relationship with. And we're going to work this out for the glory and fame in name of Jesus. We're not just going to be a Jesus church. We're going to be a Jesus family. Do you know, it's, it's interesting if you keep reading Ephesians chapter five and you get into Ephesians chapter six and you go to verse 10, you know what Paul talks about a few verses after he talks about family is he talks about 
about the spiritual battle that we're in. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we do not wrestle against sons and daughters. We do not wrestle against husbands and wives. We do not wrestle against Republicans and and Democrats. We do not wrestle, wrestle against people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the fight. And that, my friends, many of us, we don't even believe that. We think the biggest fight is, man, my wife just doesn't get me. She just doesn't see me. She doesn't see how great I am, how strong I actually am. All right, well, that's not the real fight. The real fight is there are cosmic powers trying to ruin the covenant that you've committed to walk in for the rest of your life. That's the fight. That is the fight. So guys, whew, let that hit you. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. He's a God of the miraculous. He's all powerful. He can, what might he do? What miracle might he perform in your, in your marriage if you would ask him to? And I'm just asking God to do that today. There's an attack on marriage and assault on marriage. I'm asking God to do it. God, just do it. That, that, it, it the, and the enemy is going to come. He's going to attack your mission together. He's going to attack your love together. He's going to attack your honor. But I'm telling you, nothing's too hard for the Lord. And God can do the miraculous even this day. And so I just want to end here this morning. And I just want to, if the, if the prayer team could come up, but just, just come up ready for a fight. I'm telling you, it's gonna, I'm serious. Just come up ready for a fight. Like, come up like knights, all right? And, uh, but the, I really believe that, that very rarely do we actually go to bat and go to battle for other people's marriages. Because in the, in the church, if you're honest about we're really struggling, we're holding on by a thread, you know, if we're, we're th- then you get judged. I'm saying this is a judge-free zone. This is a, a zone for healing. This is a zone for wholeness. This is a zone for the power of God, all right? And I just want to say this. I, 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 I just wonder if some of you here, like what you really need is, is you need someone to come along beside you and actually wage war in the spiritual realm for what's going, o- going on, waging all around you. You've never even had that. I, I think today is going to be one of those moments that husbands love your wife enough to grab them and bring her up to the front. Wives, respect your husband enough to grab him, go up to the front. And let's battle today, guys. Let's battle for what God wants to do in your marriage against what the enemy wants to do in your marriage. Amen? Amen. Some of you are like, it's not going to work. Doubt, doubt doesn't work. (laughs) If you don't want to operate in what doesn't work, stop operating in doubt. In fact, I would call you to doubt your doubts. All right? And begin to operate in a hope that would say, today could be the day. Today could be the day. Husbands, I'm telling you, today could be the day. Wives, I'm telling you, today could be the day. Some of you kids, you're, you're, uh, you're here without your your family, all right? God wants to do something through you. You're gonna be like a David in your family, all right? And you need to come up for prayer. Maybe you're hurting in a relational way that has nothing to do with marriage, it's just hurt. Today is your day, I'm telling you. So let's stand to our feet just for a moment and let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to empower us with courage to do what needs to be done in, in moments. We're in a battle. It doesn't, whether you feel it or not, we're in it. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that we would actually step into it and fight with the weapons of of, of warfare that we actually need to fight with. Not nagging, not complaining, not stonewalling, not cornering, not alienating ourselves, not passive aggression, God. 
But Lord, I just pray for, I pray for divine weapons right now to break through the darkness. And that you would do something in hearts. And that today would be a day where, where, where husbands and wives, where sons and daughters, where blood-bought children of God actually step into the fight and start teaming up together in mission. So Lord, I know you can do it. We doubt our doubts today. We, we, we decide to walk forward in hope today. And we bless you and we praise you and we want you. You've got us in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org. Thank you.